0: Now Abraham sojourned there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister, and she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you? that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my mother, excuse me, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, "'This is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother.' Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, "'Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please.' To Sarah he said, "'Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver.' Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised." So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Please be seated.
1: Thanks, Naomi. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Great to have you here at Reliance this morning. My name is Adam. In case you're new here, well, actually, it's Adam whether you're new here or not. But um, my name is Adam, and um, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, Jacob is our lead pastor, and he actually has this uh, really neat opportunity this weekend. He's up at um, speaking at the church in Spokane where he grew up, and so they invited him to come as a Guest speaker for a morning, but um, anyway, delighted to be here with you today. Um, before we get started um, with the message, um, it's my great privilege to introduce to you some of our newest members. And so, if I could call up here to the stage um, Zedabra Shear and Sherma Billing, and um, also Emily Bonus and Nathan Bonus, come on up. Um, great to have you guys here. Um, you can come right up here. Yep. Onto the actual stage. Um, Come on over, ladies. Thank you so much. Um, So we do membership here as a way of uh, really having a formal declaration or formal conversation, if you will. Last name is Stillings. Stillings. I'm sorry. I wrote your name down wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so we have uh, membership as a, a kind of a formal statement of our commitment to one another, that we want to love each other well as um, fellow believers in Christ. And so um, it is, it's my great honor to introduce these folks to you. I accidentally said Sherma's last name wrong. It's Stillings. And so um, we're delighted to have you guys here. Um, as part of this, um, I'll ask a few questions. And you guys can simply respond together. Um, but, but real quickly, Emily and Nathan are my kids. And this is fun. Um, they are adults now. They've decided that they actually like church. For this, I'm delighted. And so um, they are becoming formal members today. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay. Do you all agree to support the mission of Reliance Fellowship, which is inviting people to impact their communities for Christ? And having already embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, will you commit to remaining in vital fellowship with Christ and his people and to openly express your faith in Christ through worship, obedience, and evangelism? And finally, will you allow the members of Reliance Fellowship to speak into your life, encouraging you to walk in a manner worthy of what Christ has called you to? Okay. And now... Y'all, if you're a member of Reliance Fellowship, will you care for these new members, loving them as a family, holding them accountable to God's word, and pursuing their growth in Christ? Yes. I heard some yeses. Yes. Okay, good. Um, So after church, I would just encourage you guys to come up, and if you don't know them already, say hi, introduce yourself. Um, We're delighted to have them as part of Reliance and as members, and so um, let me pray for you guys if I could. Um, so, Father, I just thank you for Zita and Sherma, for Emily and Nathan, um, for the way that you have brought them to a knowledge of yourself, um, the way that you have been working in them since uh, even before they were born, Lord, and, and um, we are just grateful, Lord, for, for your loving care for each one of them, Lord, and thank you now that you've um, uh, once again brought them into this community, Lord, and um, given us the opportunity to know and love them, and Father, I do pray um, that they... Um, might grow through their time here at Reliance, that we might be a blessing to them, and that they might be a blessing to us in exchange, Lord, that their their, um, participation in this community, their exercise of their gifts, um, their um, love and fellowship, Lord, that all of those things would build up this community for your glory. And Father, we love you, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks guys. Let's give them a hand. So, in 2 Corinthians 5-7, Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, In some ways, the whole story of Abraham is kind of an explanation of what that looks like in real life. Um, We walk by faith, not by sight. And it's an interesting contrast. So, on the one hand, you have the things that you can see. And on the other hand, you have the things that God says. And at times, it doesn't seem like those two line up. Um, So Paul in 2 Corinthians 5-7 tells us that if given the option, we should walk by faith, not by sight. Trust God over and above even your own perceptions of reality. Trust the Lord. Um, That's really what the story today is all about, um, what we're going to be looking at. Um, Can we trust God to do what he promises even if it looks impossible. So as we're going through the book of Genesis, really what this, is, this whole book of Genesis is about is laying foundations for us in our understanding of God. So the story of Genesis is not a story just about one man or one family, um, even though we spend a lot of time on Abraham and his family. The story of Genesis is really a story about God. He's the main character. He's the protagonist in our story. And through Genesis, we've seen um, quite a bit already. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, We've seen the creation of the world. Um, We've seen that God placed man in the garden, uh, man and woman, to represent him on earth. They were to be his representatives, the image of God on earth. And we saw almost immediately that they failed in representing God in that place. And so humanity fell into sin. And we know the devastation that follows. Um, So out of that, um, God ultimately destroys the world with a flood and saves one man, Noah, and his family. And humanity begins to multiply and fill the earth, and uh, things start to um, happen again. Uh, But once again, we see that sin continues to spread. And so God chooses one man and his family, Abraham and his family, to bring a blessing, not just to this family, but to all the families of the earth. And so that's what we've been looking at for several weeks. Genesis chapters 12 through 22 tell the story of Abraham. But it's not just about Abraham. Again, God is the hero in this story. God is the one that we're supposed to be focused on as we're we're going through this. And so today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 20 and 21, but to really get this story, to really understand all that's happening in this story, we need to just remind ourselves of a little bit of background. So it's been several weeks that we've been looking at Genesis um, through the story of Abraham. And what I'd like to do for us, if you will bear with me, is I'd like to read through the promises that God has made to Abraham over the past several chapters. If we lay that groundwork, I think we'll appreciate more what's happening um, in Abraham's life here. So um, let me just um, begin with Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God tells Abraham, or Abram at this point, you will become a great nation, and I will bless all the families of the earth through you, and you can imagine Imagine receiving that promise. (laughs) I want to bless the entire earth, and I've decided to do it through you. Um, It's an incredible promise, and um, Abraham believes him. So Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Imagine numbering the dust of the earth. I I sign up for not doing that. Um, That sounds horrible. Um, But that is, like, beyond our imagination that he would have that many descendants, right? Abraham will be blessed with a large family, countless descendants, a huge piece of land to call his own. Genesis 15, 2 through 6. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? Many years have passed at this point. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. So, again, these promises keep getting reiterated. And Abraham believes the message of the Lord. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, a little bit of context here, Abram first heard from the Lord when he was 75. Now he's 99. 24 years have passed of him wandering in the land of Canaan, and the word of the Lord comes to him. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "'I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless.'" I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." Again, amazing promises um, that God is giving to Abraham, establishing this covenant with Abraham. Um, Further in that chapter, Genesis 17, 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, (laughs) and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I do have a son. You know, that's essentially what Abraham's saying. What about Ishmael? But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Genesis 19. This is our last one. Thanks for hanging in there. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. That's kind of an understatement. She's almost 90. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So there's there's three basic promises that show up over and over and over. It's land, seed, and a blessing. So God's going to give them the promised land to, to Abraham and his family. He's going to give him seed or offspring, right? The offspring, which is this child of his own by Sarah. And then he's going to bless him richly um, and through him to bless others. So God first appears to Abraham when he's 75, and now he's, at this point, 99 years old. And there's a couple problems. Okay, There's a few uh, loose ends, shall we say. So Abraham still doesn't own any land in the land of Canaan. Uh, He owns nothing. He's been wandering around on other people's property this entire time. Um, Abraham also still doesn 't have a child by Sarah, and um, not, so so it 's kind of twofold problem right One is that she 's at this point ninety years old it's The other problem is she has been barren her entire life she was never able to bear children, so the likelihood of her bearing a child at age ninety now is is slim right it, This is impossible and then you also have the problem that Abraham is at times, seeming to struggle in how to live out his faith in the Lord. And so the big question is, how is God going to tie up these loose ends? And and really, behind all of that, the heart of the question is whether God has the power to keep his promises. We know that God is good. And Abraham knows for sure that God promised all these things. There's there's no doubting this, right? God has said it to him frequently through the years. Um, But is God able to do this? And so in Genesis chapters 20 and 21, we see several brief stories. Um, Naomi read a couple of them. We're going to look at a couple more as we go. Um, Several brief stories that feel almost random, like, Like unrelated, and why is this in the Bible, and and what's going on with Abimelech, why do we need to know about this guy? And if we were to view this as just kind of a neutral historical record of Abraham's life, uh, it would seem almost pointless. But if we view this through the lens of the the covenant that God has made with Abraham, the promises that he has made, we understand that Through the course of these chapters, Abraham begins with none of these blessings really realized in his life. And at the end of chapter 21, he has land, seed, and a blessing. And so we're going to see how God orchestrates this in the life of Abraham to fulfill his promises in just sort of like these crazy ways that he does this. Um, In each of the stories, we see the faults and failures of Abraham and his family, um, but we also see the incredible providence of God. So um, to help us keep track of these stories, because um, they're kind of disjointed, almost feeling, um, I've kind of broken this into three sections. We have old habits, old age, and old grievances. So we're going to start with old habits. And what I mean by old habits is Abraham's bad habit of walking around telling everybody that Sarah is his sister. So if if you want to call that a bad habit. So back in chapter 12, when we first started reading about Abraham, uh, he goes down to the land of Egypt and talks to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh this is his sister. And they end up having an issue over that. And ultimately, um, God keeps her from Pharaoh and his um, harem. Um, So we saw that down in Egypt we see it again here with Abimelech, the king of Gerar. Once again, they repeat this story about Sarah being his sister. Um, And we find out here in verse 13, um, it came about when, uh, when God caused me to wander from my father's household that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So this was kind of their habit. This is like like we only get two instances of this we We see it in Egypt, we see it here um with Abimelech, but apparently this was something that they were doing on a regular basis and you have to wonder what's up with that? Why is he constantly referring to Sarah as his sister so we we know that from this story that she is his half sister, but why not just be honest and and you know, mentioned the other half of the, the situation. Oh, yeah, she's my wife as well. And what we find out in verse 11 is that Abraham was doing this. His motivation in this was fear. So Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So Sarah must have been quite attractive if at age 90 he's still concerned <laughs> that they're going to take his wife and kill him. So um, that was probably quite flattering for her, I'm sure, but, um, but probably not the best motivation. So Abraham assumes at this point in the story, this chapter 20 comes right after chapter 19, we saw last week this whole story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah getting wiped off the, the map and, and God rescuing Lot. And Abraham saw all of that take place, and now Abraham moves south and gets kind of away from that area, and apparently he was assuming these folks are just like the folks in Sodom. Um, Abraham assumes that the people there, like Abimelech, had no fear of God. But the irony is really thick here, because in in reality, Abimelech may have more fear of God than than Abraham does even, Um, Turns out Abimelech and his men really do fear the Lord. And so um, Abimelech argues it's out of the integrity of my heart that I did this. Let's, let's begin in verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she's married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She's my sister? And she herself said, He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart, and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours." So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. So in contrast with Abimelech who clearly fears the Lord right he and his men are greatly frightened at this message from the Lord you have Abraham who has been hearing these promises over and over of what God was going to do for him and in fear of the situation Abraham is is now you know essentially taking things into his own hands he's he's lying he's deceiving in an attempt to preserve himself in this situation so Why doesn't Abraham trust the promises of God to bless him? I think that's an important question for us to ask because I think there might be some overlap with us. Why doesn't Abraham trust the promises of God to bless him? Um, I I think Abraham has been living, well, at this point, for 24 years, in this difficult tension between faith and sight. He hears the message of God. He trusts and believes the message of God. We we know that because God counted it as righteousness to him. But he's almost 100 years old. (laughs) And at some point you have to say, Lord, I I don't see how this is going to work. I I just can't see it happening. Um, When God says you're going to have a child by Sarah, they both laugh. Why? Because
0: <laughs> how's
1: that going to happen? So Abraham wants, wants to walk by faith, but it's hard. It's really hard to see how God's going to do this. The good news in the midst of this is that the blessing is rooted in the faithfulness of God, not in the faith of Abraham. Right? Even if Abraham stumbles along, even if, if Abraham's faith isn't amazing, the blessing of God is going to occur not because of Abraham's faith, but because of God who is faithful. And that's really important for us. Our faith may waver at times. We, we may doubt the good promises of God, but his power is not limited by the size of your faith. Nothing is impossible for God. He will accomplish his good plan, even when we don't think he will. God will accomplish his purposes. Um, There's one one more really important aspect of this story, um, and that is that uh, it's really important that Abimelech stay away from Sarah. Um, Otherwise, there might be doubts as to where this child came from. And so in order to make sure there's no confusion, um, God does several things. God apparently makes Abimelech sick because later in verse 17, we find out that God healed Abimelech. God also appeared to Abimelech in a dream, as we saw, and warned him, stay away from Sarah. Um, but then finally, God closed the wombs of the entire household of Abimelech so that no one would get pregnant during this time, right? There's no doubt about the, the possibility that this came from Abimelech. And so all of that sets, sets the stage for the next section, chapter 20, where we see uh, what, what we're calling old age here. So we had old habits, we have old age. Where God does this amazing thing. She's 90 years old. Um, look at 21, 1 through 8 again. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, <clears throat> and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised, and so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. I think the most important thing, or most important part of that story, in my estimation, is that phrase, the appointed time. This was 25 years after God first told Abraham to leave his home and move to the land of Canaan. For 25 years, they wander around, they have no child, Um, they're trusting somehow God's going to take care of them, and that God would give them descendants. Now, uh, incidentally, I was curious, so I looked up, what is the, with all of our modern scientific advances, what's the oldest woman in modern times to give birth? And we still haven't reached 90. Um, The oldest is 74, So there was a woman in India, um, her name is Aramadi Mangayama, probably butchered, um, who gave birth to twins back in 2019 at age 74 um, after in vitro fertilization and through a C-section. So it took a little bit of help and some prompting, but um, we've made it to 74. Um, But there's, like, back in these times, this is a woman who's never had children. She's 90 years old. I think it's fair to say this is impossible. This is impossible that this woman would give birth. And so you have to wonder, why did God choose to do it this way? Right? God clearly could have given her children earlier. He closes the womb, wombs of the ladies in Abimelech's household. He can open the wombs. He, he chose this as the appointed time. The appointed time for them to have children. Why? Why? Well, I think it gets back to that thing about walking by faith and not by sight. Once again, God wanted them to experience this walk of faith and not by sight. If she had a baby in her 20s, that's cool, but probably nobody's going to be amazed. Um, But God wanted her to have a baby when she was 90 to make a point. That God is in control of all things. Um, In his providence... God can keep his promises even when it looks impossible. Um, so through old habits, through old age, God is, is faithful. And that brings us to old grievances. Um, so follow with me in, in verse 9 here. Uh, the first grievance is between Sarah and Hagar. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. So in other words, Ishmael appears to be mocking Isaac here. And therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, and the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Abraham loved Ishmael. Ishmael is 16 years old at this point. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went out and sat down opposite him, about a bowshot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. <clears throat> and she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt." Uh, just a few things to point out in that story. First, uh, Sarah and Abraham are pretty awful here. Um, it, it's pretty awful what they do. Um, ultimately, they send off Hagar and Ishmael with nothing but some bread and water. Um, th- this region that they're living in, Gerar, was right on the edge of the desert. So this easily could have been a death sentence. And, and really, that's, that's what you see here. Hagar feels like it is. Um, but God chooses to keep his promise to make Ishmael a great nation, and so even though Ishmael is not the the child of the covenant, right, even though he's not the heir of this Abrahamic covenant, he is a descendant of Abraham, and so God blesses him anyway God says, "I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you a great family because you're linked with Abraham and so because of that connection, God blesses him and The other thing that happens out of this perhaps the most important thing is that once and for all we have established that Isaac is the heir right up to this point through the whole story of Abraham we're we're kind of bumbling along and we're trying to figure out like is this going to work is God going to kind of intervene here because Abraham keeps trying to find someone else to be the heir and finally it's clear Isaac is the one Um, The second example of old grievances is the end of this chapter, verse 22. And it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you you shall show to me into the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me, nor have I heard or, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you've set by themselves? And he said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. So he made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Um, Beersheba, incidentally, um, the, the word Sheva can... Be seven, or it can be oath. It, it, there's, it sounds very, very similar there. And so it could be that he is doing a play on words here. I'm going to make an oath for you, the oath of seven, and here's seven lambs, and in exchange, you'll let me keep this well as mine. Um, what, what's amazing again in this story is that Abimelech again shows faith in the Lord, faith in what God is doing. Um, He he makes this statement to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. And that's pretty extraordinary the way their interactions have gone up to this point, right? Um, Abraham has been guilty of telling half-truths about his half-sister. And at this point, um, despite some deceit there and, and all that, Abimelech knows that God is with Abraham. Um, Abimelech seems to, in some ways, almost believe the Abrahamic blessing more than Abraham does. Abimelech's confident in what God is doing through this man, and so he settles accounts with Abraham, and he allows him to keep this well. And um, in the previous chapter, Abimelech had, had told him, you can go, you can wander about the land, you can live anywhere. Abraham goes out, digs a well. Abimelech's servants come along and say, ah, you're digging on our land, that's our well. Well, and um, ultimately, Abimelech says, no, you can, you can keep that. And so the amazing thing at the conclusion of this, you know, you have these seemingly unrelated stories, right? You've got this thing about the sister, and you've got Abraham and, and uh, Sarah who are really old at this point. You've got this, this situation with the well and, and chasing off Ishmael and all these seemingly unrelated stories. But at the end of this, Abraham has land seed, and a blessing. Um, in chapter 20, Abimelech says, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And now Abraham also has a well and essentially a little settlement. He's, he's got Beersheba. That's his, his place. And he's planted a tree. He's dug a well. He can settle here and call it home. He has Isaac, his son, who God supernaturally intervened and provided for him. And we see that God is blessing Abraham to the extent that even, even foreigners are able to see that. And so in the midst of this kind of messiness of Abraham and Sarah's life, God accomplishes his promises. God's the hero in the story. God's our protagonist. He's the one who does this. So as we think about this, <clears throat> this was a story that took place 4,000 years ago. Okay, so um, about 1,000 years after Abraham, you have King David. About 1,000 years after that, you have Jesus, and it's been 2,000 years for us. So we're looking at 4,000 years of history. So the question is, does this situation have anything to do with us? And I would argue it has everything to do with us. Um, Because the question for us is the exact same as the question for Abraham. Will we walk by faith and not by sight? Um, How do we go about doing that? What does it look like to live by faith and not by sight? I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to know the promises of God, just like Abraham knew the promises of God. I reviewed those promises so you could see, like, God had told this to Abraham over and over. There was no confusion in his mind what the promise was. Um, And I think that's important for us as well. So consider the promises that God has given to us. God has promised us forgiveness. He has promised us adoption as his children. He has promised his presence to us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's promised his Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to live for him. He's promised us eternal life. And the list could go on. Um, Really, the whole New Testament is full of examples of God's promises to us of what he will provide. And so I would encourage you, this would be a fun little study exercise. Next time you're reading through the New Testament, keep a little journal on the side and start recording the promises that God makes to us in the New Testament. Now, I say the New Testament because in the Old Testament, some of the promises were specific to Israel, right? God has not promised you ownership of the land of Canaan. God promised that to Abraham. But God has made specific promises to you throughout the New Testament. So I think the first thing is we got to know what God's word says. What is it that God has told us? Um, The second thing is to remember God's track record, He is really good at keeping his promises. Um, He he is always faithful in that. And so really that's what chapters 20 and 21 show us in Genesis is that God can keep his promises even when it looks impossible. Um, In the New Testament, we have have more examples of this. Uh, So God had promised that, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And he was. We have the virgin birth. Uh, Jesus went around telling people that he would die and on the third day rise again, and he did. Um, God promised to provide us salvation from our sins, and he did. And so we see these examples where God did what looked like, I mean, frankly, impossible. How's that ever going to happen? And yet God keeps his promises. And so I, I think it's really important not only to know the promises of God, but to know his track record. God is so, so faithful Um, A third thing that I think (coughs) just frankly is really helpful is to remember what happens when you don't trust the Lord. So um, Abraham's story is a great example of this. Um, Isaac was always going to be the one who receives the blessing. That wasn't plan B. It wasn't like God somewhere along the way decided, you know what, let's give Sarah a boy. No, that was the plan all along. But Abraham and Sarah had a hard time waiting, and you can understand, I mean they were they were getting up there in years, but they had a hard time trusting the Lord, and so instead of trusting the Lord, they took matters into their own hands. But imagine what a smooth journey it would have been if they hadn't. right? Uh, you, you can imagine um, thinking back, Abraham slept with Hagar, spends the next sixteen years with some conflict in his home imagine the tensions in that home that would have not been fun yeah but you made me do it no but you you know it would have been horrible they could have had 16 years of peace <laughs> waiting on the lord um when, when we take matters into our own hands when, when we decide that we know better than god it never goes well and so not only knowing the promises not only Knowing his track record, but also knowing the consequences. Like, when when we do things our own way, when we don't wait on the Lord, it does not go well. And you guys can think of examples of this, right? There, There are so many examples. My marriage is so bad, you don't understand. It isn't. I love my wife. But you can imagine being in that situation. My marriage is so bad, you don't understand. I have to get out of this. What if God wants you to stay? What if God has plans to redeem? Or, you don't understand my finances, they're so bad, that's why I cheated on my taxes. I don't know, whatever. But you can think of examples where we are prone or tempted to want to take a shortcut, and it's not right. It's not right. Um, There was a time in our life where um, we had a house in Colorado that we were renting out, and um, we got in this situation when the housing market crashed, that we were upside down in this property. We, we owed more than we could have possibly gotten out of it um, by tens of thousands of dollars. And we had friends tell us that we should declare bankruptcy and get out of it. Um, Christian friends told us to declare bankruptcy and get out of it. But I felt conviction by the Lord not to do that. And there was a passage in the Psalms that talks about... Um, about what happens uh, or or about bankruptcy being a a bad thing. And so I decided not to do that. Um, Ultimately, it was a a weird, crazy step of faith to keep that house and continue renting it out because it was super inconvenient for many years. And ultimately, God blessed us from that, but it took years of waiting on the Lord. Um, When we don't wait on the Lord, life is harder. It's just harder. harder. Um, the fourth thing is that I think there are times where we just need to ask the Lord to help us to have faith. Um, you think of that, that guy in, in Mark's gospel that says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And, and I think there's times where we're like that, where we desperately need to trust the Lord, but we're struggling. <laughs> we're having a hard time. And so, so asking God to help us in our unbelief. Um, the point of this whole story all these unrelated little incidents here in Genesis, is that God is powerful and God is faithful to the end, and in his providence, God can keep his promises. So 4,000 years have passed, but God has not changed. God is still good. God is still able to keep his promises. Amen? Um, I'd like to uh, read for you from Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 and following. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, for he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that that is true, Lord, that you... Uh, did provide redemption for Israel. Lord, that you are good, that you are faithful in all of your ways. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to wait on the Lord. And, Father, I don't know what specific situations you have for each person here, but, Lord, um, regardless of what that struggle is, I pray, Father, that each and every one of us would look to you and trust your word. Lord, may we walk by faith and not by sight. May we be willing to trust you above and beyond even our own perceptions of how things are, Lord. Even if it seems impossible, Lord, may we trust your good promises. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.